Hello, welcome to One Foot in the Podcast. My name's Tom. Thank you very much for downloading. Um, hopefully you'd have listened to the pilot episode uh, I released, just a short um, episode introducing myself and explaining why I was, you know, releasing the podcast, beside the fact I'm a huge fan. Uh, there isn't any other dedicated One Foot in the Podcasts, One Foot in the Grey podcast, sorry, out there. Um, there's the odd review of the show, but it's nothing uh, dedicated. So since I'm a huge fan... And I love my British comedies. I thought, why not? Let's release um, episode by episode, breaking down scene by scene, uh, general chit chat and stuff. If you'd like to uh, contact me, um, there's a Twitter page. I think it's at one foot in the pod. And my email address for, you know, if you want to contact me, it's Stanis Victor Meldrew. But the email address is one foot in the podcast at gmail.com. So do get in touch if you've got anything you'd like me to talk about specifically to the show. Uh, that'd be great. So. That's just to recap then. So the show written by David Renwick. Um, there's some people like that pronounce it Renwick, but it is Renwick because hearing the great man himself pronounce it as uh, Renwick is good enough for me. David Renwick's written um, various shows throughout his career. Hot Metal, Whoops Apocalypse, The Two Ronnies. He wrote various sketches for those two. Uh, not the Nine O'Clock News sketch show, uh, the film Love Soup. And of course, uh, my other favourites, uh, sort of comedy mystery series, Jonathan Creek. And various sketch shows written for radio. He actually wrote some um, sketches for Kenneth Williams, actually. So he really, have, really has got quite an impressive CV of uh, material. So anyway, this is a One Foot in the Grave podcast. So we're going to, you know, solely focus on that. And I'm starting off with episode one of series one, Alive and Buried. One Foot in the Grave. Hello. So this episode was aired... Quite close to the beginning of 1990, January the 4th, 1990. Straight away, this episode shows us the situation that poor old Victor Meldrew finds himself in. He's not quite retirement age, although he was 60, so I think that might have been retirement age at one point or another. But we know that it's essentially early retirement for Victor Meldrew. He's not quite ready to, to bow out. One thing I don't know for sure is, was Victor Meldrew always... Mr. Grumpy, or perceived to be grumpy. So, of course, what, you know, exacerbates his mood swings as the series progresses is the fact that he's fed up with life and, you know, not, not having much to do and comes loggerheads with various uh, companies he comes across with or various individuals and finds himself in all sorts of situations. But was he always like that? I don't know. Sometimes uh, Margaret, his wife, played by Annette Crosby, she would reference, you know, the fact that, in a sort of jokey way, I suppose, that life was a bit tricky living with him because of his ways. As, you know, as these podcasts will be released, we'll we'll find out more, a little bit about, well, we'll discover more on life for Victor and Margaret before we see them as they're someone in their early 60s. So the show opens up with, essentially, I assume, Victor Meldry's boss... 26 years sitting behind a reception desk. What must that do to a man's brain? I shouldn't think it does a lot of good myself. Mm. I suppose it's a bit like one of those polar bears that just suddenly snaps and ends up lumbering around its cage, bellowing at everyone in a rather irrational manner. And that is played by... Uh, Susie Blake plays Mrs Inglis, and she is... Oh, I, off the top of my head, I, I've known her to play um, a barmaid at Coronation Street amongst very various other projects. Um, but she is speaking to another one-off character, Mrs. Jealous, played by Valerie Minifee. And she was in One Foot in the Grave. Sorry, 
<laughs> she was in Men Beefing Badly as Anthea. Um, she played like an office clerk who very much gets mistreated by Martin Clunes' character, Gary. Anyway, she is discussing with Mrs. Inglis, which I assume to be Victor's boss, that um, he's, she's going to have to let him go, unfortunately, due to a money-saving scheme of the fact there's some new technology in town where Victor's job as a security guard is no longer required. They have a electronic box that can welcome uh, guests in and out of the building. They're quite sad, really. I find it hard to believe that a security box, you know, in the world of One from the Grave, a security box could replace a security guard entirely because it can't physically stop people coming in and out of a building, can it? There you go. Um, essentially, they, he's not needed. And he's given the news by Mrs. Inglis that, you know, time to go. Must be so exciting, the fact that you're going to be retired now. You can do all the things you ever wanted to do. Uh, of course, poor old Victor hasn't really, from what we gather, ever built up much of a social life. It's just him and Margaret. It's never an easy one for us. Still, just think of all that free time you'll have to yourself now. You must be thrilled to bits. Thrilled to bits? Of course, the biggest problem of all was how do you ever replace a man like Victor Meldrew? Well, basically, with this box. It's never made that clearly. They have children. Uh, I don't think they do have children. I think it's referenced much later on in the series. That I think they touched upon it that perhaps they just couldn't have kids. We know that Margaret had a not a daughter, but she had like a, almost like a foster child or someone she looked out for. Maybe it was a she was referred to as an auntie, but in an unofficial sense. It's quite sad, really. The only thing we know about Victor is the fact he's got a brother, Alfred, played by Richard Pearson, is um, that's a known relative. Margaret is often heard talking to her mum. She is only ever. She's not seen or heard. Um, we do actually hear Margaret's mother speak on, um, leave an answer machine message, again, much later on in the series when it's um, understood that she's passed away and they hear a sort of eerie voicemail message playback. That isn't actually the voice of anyone else other than Annette Crosby, but um, it's quite, again, one of the mystery, many mysteries of One Foot in the Grave. Um, very few characters, actually. When you think about it, you've got Victor, Victor and Margaret, You've got Mrs. Warboys, who is like one of the best. I don't want to call her a side character because she's quite prominent in the show, and she, she that wouldn't do her justice because she is just hilarious. Um, so, yeah, Mrs. Warboys, you've got Patrick and Pippa, um, the neighbours, um, Nick Sweeney, who he um, sorry Nick Sweeney, played by Owen Brenman. Patrick and Pippa, of course, played by Angus Deaton and Janine Dvitsky. Like I said, there's not other many other characters at all that you'd see regularly. That everything else is just one off. Uh, based but nevertheless i think that makes it an even better show because they make do with the very few characters there are it's, it remains a st strong series throughout so back to the actual episode then alive and buried uh victor has learned of his his fate in his career margaret of course is trying desperately to put a positive spin on things and now officially a lower form of life than a Duracell battery. <laughs> Bottom line is that, Victor, like you probably would if you're in his shoes, you cannot see a positive side to it. I mean, we all essentially, I don't want to speak to everyone, but I guess when we look ahead, we would look forward to retirement in the respect that you don't have to go to work every day, you know? Only if you're in a position that you can afford to not go to work. I do wonder how much of an income Victor brought in along with uh, Margaret. I think Margaret worked at the florists, didn't she? And Victor's a security guard. So they couldn't have been that wealthy. They do live in a sort of 
an average suburban house, probably a two or three bedroom um, property. <laughs> I wouldn't have thought it would be, I think house prices were considerably cheaper back then, but nevertheless, you know, again, this is a, this is, you've got to remember, this is a podcast dedicated to the show, and being a, a nerdy fan, I'm going to read into these um, small matters, but how much, you know, how how is he surviving, apart from a small pension and Margaret's wage? I don't know. Perhaps they were frivolous with money over the years. I don't know. We quickly learn of Victor's intolerance for society just by, you know, loose crisp packets found sort of in his garden, which is fair enough. That's that infuriate most of us. Who's Bovril flavour today? What? The empty crisp packet in the front lawn. <laughs> I was expecting prawn cocktail. <laughs> Funny how things work out sometimes. But we're already get, getting a quick flavour of how he operates, you know. He doesn't really let things go. He's a bit of a dweller. And he's got more time on his hands, I suppose. So he's going to really have more time for moaning. You've got a whole new life ahead of you, Victor. I mean, you've hardly started. You've got it all still to come. Yes. That's what scares me. Looking at the house that they live in so this is so serious one they're in the, the, the particular um average kind of two two up two down probably a bit bigger than actually accommodation they move, do move house series two onwards for a particular storyline that we'll cover you know at the end of the series the start of next series for 1990 it looks it does look like it's dated even back then it looks like the quality of this um visually the quality of this show looks like it could be a 70s Show, just with the decor and the picture quality it's just the tone of the color it just looks like much older than 1990 i've always thought that i think it's just like it looks considerably so when series two comes about it's all it is almost like a different show uh, richard wilson playing victor melcher becomes even more sharp as as um the character he plays as does annette crosby's margaret not too far into the episode we are introduced to mrs warboys mrs warboys played by doreen mantle she has played characters in other projects written by David Renwick, such as Jonathan Greeks, amongst others. She deserves a whole podcast alone. We can talk about character profiles, I think, another time, but Mrs. Warboy is just superb. The main reason why I do this podcast is, obviously, I love the show, but what inspired me to watch it was my grandparents, who sadly departed this mortal curl, were absolutely... They would, they would be in tears after watching this show. And they were of a similar age to Richard Wilson and Annette Crosby. In a roundabout way, they were similar in nature. Um, I think maybe the roles were a bit reversed. My grand was probably a bit like Victor at times. And my granddad was quite sort of laid more... I would say it was laid back, but probably got on my nan's nerves more. And so I suppose in that regard, actually, the roles weren't reversed because Victor very much gets on... Margaret's nerves throughout the most of the series. So, but anyway, they loved the show. They got me into it for me as a young young boy. And here I am today doing a podcast in a roundabout way, also in their honour. Going off on a tangent here, we're supposed to be talking about you know a live and buried episode, but we're at the scene now where essentially Mrs. Warboy is just so innocent and she's a gentle character in nature, a little bit of a warrior, bit suffers from a bit of anxiety it's fair to say she's just politely trying to have a conversation with Victor about you know what's happened with his career and why he's left why he's left and she's dwelling on what size the box <laughs> he was replaced with was and again you know Victor like he does throughout the series snaps at her say what does it matter what size box it is you know it's taking my job so how big was it then Mr Meldrew what this box 
Well, I suppose it was about 12 inches wide by about... What bloody difference does it make how big it was? It was a box. Though it was wires and microchips and has taken my job. You can understand Victor's reaction as well. He's still, it's still very much raw to him. Amazingly enough, we are actually introduced to Mr Swaney, um, who's called round to Victor's house. Yes. Oh, good morning, sir. Uh, my name's Nick. I'm calling on behalf of the Outward Bound Scheme for the Elderly. I'm looking for Mr uh, Victor Meldrew. Yes. Oh, th- that's you. Oh, that's thrown me. I was told you were in the granny annex. Granny annex? <laughs> Mistaken him for an elderly resident that he was apparently supposed to pick up and take out for like a, a day trip, to which Victor actually accepts, um, much to his desperation, I suppose, to, to fill his time. And Victor finds himself in the car with um, a couple of ladies, a good 15, 20 years older than at the very least. It was quite... I don't know how what, or what David Romick had in mind for Mr Swaney because he eventually becomes his neighbour. And I'm not too sure how far Victor and Margaret move from where they live in Series 1 to the R- Riverbank Street, which is wherever in London or, you know, outside of London. But the fact that they bump into Mr Sweeney again in, you know, Series 2 onwards, quite fluky, you know. It's all part of the writing and I don't know what David Romick would have had planned for Mr Sweeney long term, but... Quite a coincidence that you would turn up again as as a neighbour, but he was Owen Brennan was fantastic as the neighbour to uh, Victor and Margaret, and a bit like Mrs. Walpole, he's very you know very kind spirited, gets on Victor's nerves insanely, but it's always from you know it always comes from a good place, and I think that works quite well with how Victor responds to certain people. If he if he's responding to nastiness, I don't think it'd be as Half as funny. He often responds to certain people in, in the general public who are quite arrogant or a little bit toffy nosed, and that's that's still hilarious. But when it's someone really nice and they're just trying to be helpful, and Victor doesn't see that side, it's for me it just makes it even funnier. Now Victor, who's had numerous car troubles throughout *One from the Grave*, he's, he approaches the garage manager, Nick Maloney, playing the garage manager, and he's actually appeared in this twice. Obviously, in this very first episode, and then he appears once again much further down the line uh, in The Affair of the Hollow Lady, you know, a few years later. Victor's approached him to find out, you know, what's going on with his car, and again, another insight into Victor's life here where things don't always go his way. Um, you know, he's not the first or the last person to... You have to wait quite a while for your car to be fixed, and it's never quite properly um, mended. I've, I've certainly been in that situation. But Nick Maloney's also played a, a locksmith in One Foot in the Grave um, in The Affair of the Hollow Lady. So an example of uh, an actor being used for two different parts there. I think what One Foot in the Grave teaches us, what Renwick was trying to get across is, you see, Victor Meldrick isn't the bad guy here. Yes, he moans, he doesn't let things go, he probably makes a few enemies along the way, but he is just trying to highlight what a lot of us experience in life young and old, mostly probably middle-aged and old, how annoying society can be. You know, whether it's litter, litter dropping, unreliable workmen and women, generally nuisance neighbours, whether they're, you know, have a good heart or not, people um, putting yourself in a tricky situation. You know, the number of times Victor Meldrew was put in a situation where it clearly wasn't his fault, but the likes of um, Patrick, played by Angus Deaton, would assume that it's just Victor being weird and strange and a bit odd, and it really goes against his characters. It's it's funny, but it's also a little bit frustrating because you really do egg Victor on to to win in life, and there's very few victories for Victor. Certainly, without the fact that if he does get a small victory, it usually comes at a cost. There's poor old Mrs. Warboys is the subject of a trick that Victor Maldry. So it, again, lots 
there's more going on in this episode than I recall because there's an episode much further down the line where it's based on Victor and his friends performing magic tricks and one or two go wrong to say the least. But he's we actually learn that he would had was into performing magic tricks, stunts and stuff, and he's got poor Mrs. Warboys in one of those headlock I can't I don't know what the name of them is where the head slicer trick I'm really sorry, I've just to- total um simplistic terms. I I, I do not know the name of it. It's a well if you were to see, you know, someone with their head through like um a lock, a whole lock, and then he was released a sharp blade. That's that's the trick he's playing on her. Mr Meldrew, what if it doesn't work? It'll work, have a little faith. Oh, I want to get out. I feel extremely no, dizzy. No, don't rock the frame like that. It won't do it any good. It's quite interesting that we, you know, learn of that creative side of Victor early early doors. It's quite a bit of a wasted talent, to say the least. He's also into ventriloquism. So he's actually quite a talented guy. And I, I do wonder that he's wasted as a security guard. I mean, if he was always quite... Um, confrontational and put the world to rights and you know we could recognize right from wrong perhaps in he would be right for the role of a security guard because a basic job of a security guard is to protect whatever their whatever building or persons they're protecting and Victor would I would have thought would have been a good employee he's just scared Mrs. Warboys off after performing this trick and so he Margaret gives him a little telling off and he's standing in like a big big sack and he's about to tie himself up and they need to leave the house to wherever they need to get to. Margaret's assisting him by chaining him up. He's inside his back inside the big bag which is all tied up and he rather quickly untangles himself, Houdini style, just casually and then they leave. But yeah, he really has, does have quite a talent. Towards the end of this, uh, again, we were talking about how Victor just really didn't have to get himself into some trouble. We say Nick's <laughs> Victor's car, which I assume, yeah, he's had back in the garage, completely unfinished, or just a bodge job from uh, Nick Maloney's character. He's broken down at the side of the road, and it's night time, and we see a hilarious visual of Nick Sweeney being pushed by two or three old ladies in Zimmer frames. And again, like we, like I keep. Re- repeating myself here Victor's going to get himself into some trouble as that's the nature of the show he is essentially he's being watched by some police officers unbeknown to poor Victor and because his car is on the blink and it's barely going more than a couple of miles an hour he's pulled over to the side of the road and there's a, a lady who is well we, we, we know her to be a prostitute and Victor's essentially curb crawling Police officers come out and essentially perform an, uh, I assume they perform an, an arrest. Yeah, and again, wrong place, wrong time for poor old Victor. And that essentially wraps up the episode. And, you know, I think, like a lot of comedies, a lot of fans out there, unless you're, you really are into your, you know, sitcoms, the first series of most shows are rarely remembered that well by us, whether it's, you know, One from the Grave, Men Being Badly, Fools and Horses, those sorts of shows which were huge, huge and successful. It's not that many average fans would recall Victor and Margaret in, you know, in series one, some of the storylines they had. I think as I got older, I, so I was, my grandparents would show me certain episodes they had on video and whatever the BBC were repeating at the time. 
and I did get to an age where I was able to watch them as they as they were aired, sort of the Christmas specials, and certainly the final series. But I, I guess it was as I was in my teens before I really understood. Uh, well, I had a chance to watch the first series when they were available. The box set was available on DVD, and it was fascinating to watch, really, because well, Richard Wilson looks really does look quite young. Richard Wilson was very much against playing the part of Fixer Mildred. It did take a lot of convincing. Um, I know that the producer, Susie Beblum, she was, you know, had various stand-ins ready to go to replace Victor Meldrew because that was David Remick's first choice all along but the likes of Ronnie Corbett he, um, Andrew Sachs who played Manuel Fawlty Towers they were lined up to be Victor Meldrew and also Les Dawson and I think who knows they could have performed just as brilliant a job but it's fair to say it's not with with uh, comedy acting. It's not it's not just the lines they deliver, but it's everything else that comes with it. The um, mannerisms, the facial expressions, and Vic, um, Richard Wilson plays it perfectly. There's there's no doubt about it. Should mention really, this series was remade in various other countries: Germany, Sweden, Holland, um, and probably the most famous of all was America. And uh, Bill Cosby, probably a name that should be mentioned now in the light of his um, recent well. He's fair to say despicable actions, but the show was called Cosby, uh, and Renwick um, was a sort of he was, I guess, an executive director for for that show. Unfortunately, I would say it's as hilarious as it still is for me personally. I think most people of a certain age onwards would still find it hilarious. I I don't think it's been passed down the generations because probably because you know it's a a show about a couple in their you know pre-retirement and it's. I guess it's dated, but you could argue that the whole idea of One Foot in the Grave, like I mentioned already, is looking at how society is and how it can be a cruel mistress to us all sometimes and how we, we are in the wrong place at the wrong time and the consequences of that. And there's so many dark uh, moments to this show that we suddenly go from dark to humorous again. And... I don't think Renwick gets enough credit for that because John Sullivan of Falls and Horses is, you know, quite rightly hugely credited for it, for making people, you know, laugh and cry in the same scene. And and One Foot in the Grave does that throughout. So, like I said, One, One Foot in the Grave perhaps would only appeal to a certain generation and higher, but if it was repeated a bit more often, I think it would get a lot more love. Looked up that this One Foot in the Grave, you know, in 2004 was polled as 10th in the all-time... Best, Britain's best sitcom uh, BBC poll that was Tenth is not bad at all Pe- peaked at around 20 million viewers for some of the airings you know when you think Falls and Horses is still uh, the highest watched show with the particular episode Time on Our Hands 20, I think it's 26 million 25 million 20 million is incredible and okay it was a time before you had most people had various streaming services as optional extras, but that was a, a period where there was still Sky and Cable, and you said that episode, One From The Grave was still getting tens of millions of views per episode. And we should also, you know, acknowledge the fact that Richard Wilson and Annette Crosby did, did pick up, you know, many awards for Best Light Entertainment performances. They were recognised, you know, for their excellent um, efforts, I guess. Well, that's um, that'll be it for uh, episode one, I think. Um, it is a little challenge doing this alone, you know, talking to yourself essentially, with with the hope that you know a few of you out there will listen to, listen to me waffle on. Like I said, not to do a shameless plug, but I'm used to doing podcasts with 
friends, uh, which I do for another, hopefully you've heard of it, Jolly Boys podcast. That is, a, I will admit, that's a shameful plug, but I'm just trying to explain why this podcast might come across as a little, well, waffly on I can't think of a, the right phrase. When you've got someone to bounce off, it does flow better, but I'm going to, you know, persevere. It's only, um, apart from the pilot episode, this is the very first main episode. I probably will be dissecting the scenes in greater detail as time goes by, but I think... And in the first series of most shows, there's not too much that goes on uh, storyline-wise. This is more about character developing, I guess, as is the way. But, yeah. Well, thanks very much once again for listening. Uh, like I said, you know, you can find me on Twitter. Well, you find the podcast on Twitter at One Fit in the Pod, Available on all streaming sites. As I record this, I think this podcast is available on pretty much all the Android available podcasting platforms plus spotify but it's still not on itunes so i've only put this the trailer out about just over a week ago to be fair and itunes does take a little bit longer to authorize podcasts that go live on their platform so look out for that by the time you download this hopefully you know you'll be able to download it from itunes anyway well thank you very much for listening you've been you've been listening to tom get in touch with me if you want me to cover certain aspects of the show if you'd like to get involved i'm sure sure we can arrange for you to call in i wouldn't mind doing that that'd be great um or you can just like i said just drop an email or a tweet all right anyway ciao for now hello